Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Nick and guest host Phil Carlson are back with a new episode with special guest Drew McManigle, founder and CEO of Maco Restructuring Group, a national middle market focused interim leadership and financial advisory firm with expertise in the cannabis industry. Maco provides financial advisory, interim management, fiduciary and operation improvement services to companies in distress. Through Maco, Drew is named back in November 2021 as interim CEO and chairman of Slang Worldwide, a diversified global cannabis consumer packaged goods company with a diversified portfolio of popular brands. In this episode, Nick and Phil connect with Drew to understand what makes Maco unique among restructuring companies, how and why Maco works with cannabis companies, and what his experience as interim CEO of Slang Worldwide has taught him. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Drew McManigal of Maco Restructuring Group. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Green Rush podcast. Today we uh, have Phil Carlson filling in for Ann Donahoe on the on the show, Phil. Great to have you back here again. Thanks, Nick. Always yeah. a pleasure. And, and we have uh, a very special guest today. It's Drew McManigal, founder and CEO of uh, Maco Restructuring Group. He's also the interim CEO of Slang Worldwide. Drew, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Nick. Glad to be here. Um, so our audience, uh, they may not be familiar uh, with Mako. So. Um, before we get into that, though, can you kind of um, give our listeners some of your background and and talk about you know what brought you first into the cannabis industry? Sure, uh, Maco Restructuring Group is a national middle market firm that provides financial advisory, uh, business turnaround, and interim leadership services to companies that are in some type of operational or financial distress. Um, we were contacted. Uh, by board members and shareholders of Slang last year. It was experiencing some uh, significant cash burn. And through the course of those discussions and negotiations over a $17.5 million term loan, Matco was uh, engaged as financial advisor, and I was subsequently engaged as interim CEO. So, um, you know, Maco has been very successful in, you know, diversified industries, uh, oil and gas, you know, what drew the company into working with distressed companies in the cannabis industry? You know, was it just the slang investors and shareholders or, you know, is there something bigger at play here that you think would be beneficial or not beneficial? That's not the right word, but more along the lines of like, will help, I guess, make Maco successful in this industry? Well, yeah, we've been following cannabis for a while, but, you know, an opportunity hadn't presented itself, although we thought it eventually would because 
the green rush is over and the entire cannabis industry is now pivoting to a new phase. And that always presents challenges uh, to companies. And, and as we found now, uh, you know, not a lot of restructuring firms want to work in cannabis because it's still a federally regulated uh, substance. You know, you have to be licensed, you know, if you're providing uh, interim leadership services. You know, I had to be licensed in Colorado and Vermont. So there were a couple of things that were unique that some restructuring firms are not as interested in being involved as, you know, we were. We found those things just to be part and parcel of the business. And now, quite frankly, I think we're one of the leading restructuring firms in terms of truly understanding the cannabis space, the cannabis business, and some of the dynamics at work. I'm surprised that you say more restructuring companies aren't looking or targeting the cannabis industry because from what you know, Phil and I have been watching over you know the last couple of years, like you said, Drew, the, the green rush is, is over and there's a lot of financial uncertainty in this industry. Can you talk about you know what makes that different beyond just like the federal regulations um, when, when there's the financial uh, uncertainty? Like, you know, are, are cannabis companies just not able to file for bankruptcy or, or, or other things like that? Yeah. Cannabis companies are, are precluded from filing for bankruptcy. And, and here's the trick. You can file for bankruptcy, but the office of the United States trustee, which is the, the watchdog, if you will, over the bankruptcy process and is part of the Department of Justice, is 100% of the time going to file a motion to dismiss the case because it's a federally regulated substance. Uh, and, and I haven't seen a single case yet that's made it through a Chapter 11. So, you know, it really is for companies in trouble. It really is, uh, you know, an old classic turnaround workout refinancing sale or some other uh, option to resolve the problems. And then in terms of, I think a lot of restructuring firms are looking at the cannabis space because it would be hard not to recognize that there's, you know, there's, uh, you know, trouble in River City, if you will. Right. But by the same token, um, the, the same issues apply. We've had we've had a couple of referrals from my colleagues at other restructuring firms who said, hey, we understand that you're already running a cannabis business. We've had this referral. We need a receiver or some other fiduciary role. We can't do it. Our firm won't let us do it. They don't want to be in that space. So, you know, we know you. We trust you. Can you... Would you be interested in talking to our client about serving, you know, as a receiver or or other in another role? So, you know, I think it is it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Why? So, why are those those other groups? Why are they? You know, why aren't they getting involved? They just don't they don't see the benefit, or they they are, they just think it's going to be too much of a pain in the ass, or like. I think that's it, Phil. I think they're I think they're worried about. You know, reputation. Yeah. I think they're worried about, you know, because in cannabis, you still have the illicit piece of this business, which is very active. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's highly controlled, you know, in Colorado, where in Vermont, where we are, you know, I had to go get fingerprinted and IDs issued and undergo a background check. Same thing as, as I had to do in Canada when I became interim CEO. And so I think a lot of companies look at it from the standpoint, well, not only is it a pain, but you know, is this going to do reputational 
harm to our firm. We view it a little bit differently. You know, we look at ourselves as, you know, if you will, business doctors. And so if you come into the emergency room, you know, we don't care really who you are, or what you are, or what you've done or what you haven't done. But, you know, if you have a gunshot wound or a broken leg, we're going to, you know, do our best to fix it and mm-hmm. then let the appropriate parties sort it out later. It's, you know, our job is just to try to resolve the issue, fix the problem, and then move on. Right. Okay. Well, uh, you know, Nick had mentioned that the green rush is over. I, yeah. I don't think the green rush is over. I think the initial, the initial rush, you know, the one that we saw. It's been modified. Sure. Right? So, you know. Since you guys have gotten into this space, Drew, you know, like how how do you think it, it's evolved over the last year? You know, are, are more of these operators that are out there, are they taking on more or less risk in your opinion? Like where do you see some of these guys going here over the next, I, I don't know, 12, 18, 24 months? Uh, the answer is out of business. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> that are the two risky ones I'm assuming right yeah. well I mean listen we have accomplished uh, a, a fabulous turnaround uh, at slang yeah um, in yeah. terms of making it more efficient more cost efficient more efficient from an operational standpoint which is going to lead to you know better which has already led to better margins and future profitability and cash neutrality in terms of cash burn so we're very proud of that fact. But there are many companies out there, and whether it, it doesn't matter whether it's cultivation, whether it's dispensaries, um, uh, you know, MSOs, you know, financing is hard, if not uh, almost impossible to come by. Mm-hmm. You know, investors, investor money has dried up. Cannabis itself, the plant is becoming a commodity in many locations. You know, the illicit, uh, piece of that is b- as big, if not bigger, than the legal pieces. So, you know, that's a constraint. And so, you know, you add all that up, and it creates some really very interesting business dynamics, not to mention the fact that, you know, you might have had someone who is the illicit side of the business who's now on the, you know, uh, um, the right side of the business with a great cultivation facility because they know how to grow cannabis and yet the prices for cannabis in california let's say are are dropping down like like crazy and so you can't make any money well now that you might be great at growing cannabis you might be great at explaining someone which cannabis brand they want and which terpene they might like which is a flavor of of the cannabis plant but you know you might be a lousy business person, and if you're a lousy business person and you can't control your costs and you can't control your business model and you can't control your P and L and you perhaps can't even control your personnel, you know you got real trouble. And can you, I guess, expand on on what it is that you specifically have done at Slang that's really um, driven those efficiencies there? Because I think it's 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 it would be interesting for our listeners to hear. It's like, what have you done from the inside um, to, to, to make that company run more efficiently compared to, you know, how other uh, businesses in the space that are struggling financially are, 
are approaching like how to get out of this. And, and the thing that comes to my mind is Aurora Cannabis up in Canada, most recently buying the, the that vegetable company and, and almost pivoting out of the cannabis sector after all of this. I don't think that's what you did with Slang, right? No, not at all. <laughs> what what we tried to do was actually, you know, improve on what we thought was a pretty good business. You know, it took us uh, about a month to say, is there really something there to save? Uh, because in, in all this is, you know, we're a public company, so all of this is, is public knowledge. But, you know, the company was was bleeding cash. And, you know, like in a lot of public companies, you know, the, the costs are high. You know, overhead had become bloated, had become bloated. Um, you know, there weren't really efficiencies, if you will, in cost savings and how and some of the processes and procedures. So what we did in our analysis is, you know, where can we save money? Do we really need all these people to, to, to get the job done efficiently? What products are working? What products aren't working? What are we making money on? And that's just another way for saying, you know, what are we making money on and what are we not making money on? Um, uh, you know, and a good example of that is, you know, the, we had a cultivation facility. It was one of the first things I did is, is say, you know, let's sell the cultivation facility. You know, we, we're a CPG company, you know, we don't need to be vertically integrated. And, and that was one of the other interesting things about cannabis. Everybody talks about this, you know, we want to be vertically integrated. We want to control everything from the growth all the way through, you know, the, the processing and then final uh, retail distribution or, or whatever of whatever products we're making. And I just think it's absolutely ludicrous and insane. I mean, I, I keep saying to people that didn't work for General Motors 50 years ago. <laughs> Why do you think vertical integration is going to work for you? Are you, you that much smarter? I hate to be the bad, bearer of bad tidings, but I'm not I'm thinking probably not. So, you know, we, we looked at the business model and said, this vertical integration thing doesn't make sense. And then we started doing all of the things that, that a rational business person would do to, you know, to try to get the cash burned down. Because the reality in all of these businesses, and irrespective, public, private, whatever, but listen, <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's all about saving cash increasing sales, improving product, improving your, your margins, all the while you're assessing every single piece of the business so that you're teeing it up to be a profitable business, to be a business that's cash neutral or maybe cash positive. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, mature businesses are supposed to be. Right, right. So, you know, there are a lot of factors here that go into like what, you know, I guess, well, not just factors, but all right. So let's say I, as a retail investor who's looking to invest in some of these cannabis companies, you know, what are the warning signs that you're giving these guys to to stay away from? Like, what, what should they be on the lookout for outside of <laughs> vertical integration and uh, no cash? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I think you've got to look at, you know, the company's, you know, overall performance, you know, in the marketplace. And I, th there's a misnomer that has existed forever. And I think, you know, I'm an operations guy. I'm not a numbers guy per se, right? So the numbers guys always like to take the position, but, it, you know, 
if it weren't for us, you guys wouldn't be here. And I hate to, again, be the bearer of bad tidings, but the numbers don't run the business. The numbers just tell me where I've been and where I'm going if I don't fix the business. And the business is growing cannabis, selling cannabis, processing cannabis, retailing cannabis, developing new products or whatever. That's the business. So if I'm not focused in in running that business and making sure I have an efficient, uh, an efficient and solid business model, or having or have products that people want to buy, as an example, then you know the numbers are never going to the never numbers are never going to follow. Uh, and so, you know, to to answer your question, I think what investors have to look at is is beyond the numbers. What sector is this business in? If it's a cultivation facility in California, I'm thinking you might want to, you know, take a pretty hard look at that and say, say to yourself, do I really want to do that? Knowing that cannabis is becoming a commodity and the price is dropping like a rock, you know, otherwise, similarly, you know, you might look at a, a company like Slang and, and our stock is clearly underperforming like a lot of cannabis companies. But, you know, you might say to yourself, these people seem to know what they're doing. You know, they've got good uh, money on the balance sheet. Their margins are coming up. They've got good products that people seem to want to buy, and they've got good partners. You know, so I think you want to look at the the business fundamentals. I, I'd be interested, Drew, in in what you think this industry needs most to help it, because a lot of these companies, I think, are launching and trying to operate with good intentions to serve these customers and and not go through these financial hardships. But as we've kind of discussed, the federal regu regulations make it really difficult. They, they It makes banking difficult, makes getting you know listed in the U.S. very difficult. Um, you know, what in your mind do you think would would help this industry the most? Well, I think, I mean, obviously, everybody talks about deregulation and, and, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, that solves interstate sales. Um, you know, you know, it solves the banking issue, which is, you know, very problematic, you know, it, it, you know, and, you know, there are security concerns that, you know, that go along with all of that as well. So I think that, that that's got to be a first stop. But I also believe that, you know, the companies that are out there have got to recognize that the cannabis industry is maturing. You know, it's not like it was 10 years ago. And it's going to continue to mature, and the businesses are going to have to continue to mature with it. And the days, I believe, of, well, I've got a $6 million company, and somebody who's a public company or some investor out there is going to give me a five or six or 10-time multiple on my sale. So now I've got a $25 million company, and we're going to do a deal, and I'm going to get a whole bunch of stock and a whole bunch of cash when you know my performance isn't that great based on based on a hope strategy i hope that when you know uh uh becomes unregulated business will flourish i hope that when recreational cannabis becomes legal in xyz state and i'm there that all of a sudden i'll have a 60 million dollar business i hope that dot 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 you know Hope is a failed strategy. It has never worked, not once, not ever, and it won't in the cannabis business. And I think people have got to, you know, wrap their head around that 
you know, it's got to be more pragmatic and it's, you know, less frothy. What we've seen is just a tremendous amount of frothiness across the board in, in companies that we've looked at, heard about, learned about, you know, during our tenure at Slang, you know, that, you know, you, you have to ask yourself, what was the board of directors or the principals or whomever thinking when they made this deal? Yeah, I think everybody really, uh, the, the term that comes to my mind having worked in the space is everybody wants to be the Amazon uh, of cannabis, making their own products, delivering it, operating stores, the whole thing. And it, it's just not a reality. It, it, it's just not, it, at least not where the industry is at right now. But uh, yeah. I agree with that. And, but I, I tell you what, the other thing that's very interesting about the cannabis business, and, and, and I've met a, a ton of very, very nice people, you know, and it's, and it's a very interesting business, you know, culturally. But, I, but trying to disabuse someone that their business model or that their belief or their hope in what they're doing may not be the right route at least in the cannabis business, is pretty hard. I mean, I've had some pretty vibrant conversations going, I don't think that's going to work. Well, no, it absolutely will, but I don't know. I don't think it's going to work. You know, and about the fourth time, I'm like, okay, I give up. Good luck. Well, if it is going to work, it takes a good you know, a good team to make that work, right? Like you guys oh, have absolutely. You built a a great management team, you know, with you and Mike and John, and then also with, the, with your, your board with uh, Kevin Albert and Felicia Snyder, Sandra and Ruth. And, you know, you guys have really put together a world-class team there. So, yep. you know, in terms of solid leadership, you know, what are the factors that speak to solid leadership of a cannabis company? You know, I think clear-eyed pragmatism is, is important not to get too, tied up in your own, uh, well, don't smoke your own dope. And that's applicable. <laughs> that's, that's applicable to a lot of things, whether, whether it's your marketing messages, you know, whether it's your product or, or whatever else, you know, life is never perfect. Uh, products are never perfect. Um, you know, and you have to, as a CEO, you have to be pragmatic about that, you know, because everybody is looking towards you to make the right decisions and to lead them, you know, in a, in a proactive, thoughtful way. And, uh, you know, I think you just have to be, you know, transparent and honest about that. You mentioned, um, at the, at the earlier part of this conversation, Drew, that you think a lot of these cannabis businesses are going to be out of business, um, in, in the near futures. How, as a, a restructuring company is Maco preparing for the next six to 12 months? Are you guys looking at, you know, specific sectors within the industry that you may see opportunity at, or are you going to just kind of watch and see, you know, where everything falls after, um, you know, the next six to 12 months? Well, it's interesting because what you have to understand is that Matco and in our industry, we're 100% referral based. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't go prospect if you will. I mean, we, we, we watch companies and we obviously watch trends and, and those types of things. But what will happen typically on a Friday evening, right before I'm about to take my wife to dinner, I'll get a call from, you know, a board member or a stakeholder 
or somebody who says, hey, we were referred to you or we learned about you or someone referred us to you and we have a problem. And that's where the discussion begins. So, you know, we're, you know, subject matter experts, quite frankly, my entire team, you know, and at different points, we had seven or eight people uh, working on the slang uh, engagement because we were in Vermont, we were in Colorado, we were, you know, attacking multiple pieces at multiple times. And, you know, they weren't always working all the time, but, you know, they'd pop in and out. So, you know, we're, we're waiting. If you drive down streets where cannabis is legal, you know, there might be six dispensaries in a four block area. That's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, as an example, you know, in terms of cultivation, how much, you know, I mean, it's, it's the old supply and demand. How much, you know, cannabis do you need to grow to, to meet current and anticipated future demand in which part of the country? Right. Now, didn't right. Canada just like burn like something like 1.4 billion tons of or pounds of <laughs> of cannabis just because I, I, they had to get rid of it? They couldn't do anything with it. Well, I think so. And, you know, and then you've got the other problem on the on the illicit side, because people are still going to their, you know, their brother-in-law's best friend where they can buy it cheaper than the Canada dispensary. Right. Well, that's that's the that's a whole another issue here, you know, in terms of the black market, right? So, it, yeah, but it, but the thing of it is, is that it still creates a competitive pressure, mm-hmm. you know, whether you want. I mean, it's still, you know, I'm competing against somebody that I I actually can't compete against, right? So that you know, so that that's tough. Well, so then, where do you think we are with federal legalization? You know, I threw my crystal ball away in 1981. So, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, I think it's, I think it's like everyone on the planet that it's eventually going to happen. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know when. I, I think that when it's going to happen in the United States on a federal level, quite frankly, is when, you know, our economic, our federal economic straits are so tough that, you know, they're going to be, the feds are going to be looking at any source of revenue that they can. And the reality is for, you know, if you're a rational thinker, cannabis is much like alcohol, same premise, same business model, if you will, you know, if you tax it and people are buying it, then, you know, you're going to generate tremendous, you know, revenues, whether it's a 3% or a 4% or a 5% tax on, on, on a joint or on a vape cartridge or, or whatever it happens to be. That's when I think there will be a push to, to legalize it because they're going to want that revenue. And it's an easy source of revenue to get to, um, you know, the, the horse is out of the barn from a, from a, from generally a, a moral, uh, you know, standpoint about, you know, it's, it's been legalized so many places. Um, and so I think that's when, you know, it will become more likely to be passed. And I don't think, I frankly don't think it's even a, a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative issue. I think it's just going to be a pure dollar issue. 
Yeah, hundred percent agree with you there, Drew. I think um, as we've seen, it's it's one of the most bipartisan issues and historically fractured like Senate and House. It's one of the only bipartisan issues where you're seeing Republicans and Democrats actually be able to work with each other on the bills. Um, I was having a conversation with uh, another operator um, uh, about a week ago or so that you know the, the, this White House though may actually be turning the tide. I think when. Kamala Harris would join the ticket with Joe Biden. There was a lot of optimism that, you know, maybe she's going to push this issue. And then we didn't really see that. And but now we've actually seen, you know, the White House on a run, getting some good legislation, um, some of their priorities passed here. Do you think there's an opportunity for Joe Biden to, you know, keep running with that momentum and and jump into the legalization? Or is he going to kind of stick to what his predecessor um, did in uh, Barack Obama? where he kind of just left the issue up to the states with the coal memo. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to judge. Um, I'm not overly confident that this administration is going to take any particular steps. I know there's, you know, there's legislation in the Senate. I think if the Senate and the house pass something, I think the administration will sign it and won't oppose it. But I think that's where it's got to, where it's got to come from. Yeah. He's yeah. not going to do anything. He's not. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be the one to say it. He's not going to do anything. That's <laughs> the way it is. And we're going to continue to punt this down the road. So I. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, it will happen. It, it's just a matter of, you know, when. When we first got into this, everybody was like, oh, 2021, 2022. That's when you're going to see it. And it's just, you know, we get to that time frame and then it's another three to four years down the road. But. Well, well, that's why I say that it's it's pure economics. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I mean, you know, because because at the end of the day, I mean, what's our national debt up to? You know, umpty ump trillion. You know, <laughs> you're going to have to pay it back somehow, and you can only you can only squeeze the super rich so much. You can only squeeze the rich so much. You can only squeeze the middle class so much. You know, you can only squeeze you know gasoline taxes and income taxes and, you know, and all that stuff so much before you, you know, reach a breaking point. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, a lot of those segments are feeling the strain. I mean, read the daily headlines in the Wall Street Journal, you know, look at the inflationary pressures. I mean, look at people screaming because, you know, their their grocery bills are going up 40%. Right. And then, you know, you see some of these media headlines where they're like, Cannabis tax revenue down 3% from the previous year. So what if it's down? That's still revenue they weren't getting two years ago. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly right. You know, it, but yeah, I'm, I'm there with you, Drew. It's, we're going to have to do something and um, hopefully it's sooner rather than later because this is getting to a tipping point where it's just getting ridiculous and you have the black market options that are, are really putting a squeeze on the the legal markets and it's like something needs to change this this needs to happen soon it really needs to happen soon well and and you know and that's right phil and don't forget too cannabis companies are burdened you know with that with the tax uh regulations so they can't even write off yeah you know Posted. normal mm -hmm. paper clips yeah yeah can't even write off normal yeah. business expenses you right. know like every other business on the planet and so, you know, that creates an undue burden as well, because that's, you know, that can, that can add up <laughs> really fast. Well, yeah, you're talking 30 to 40% increase in free cash flow right there. Yep. Right there. 
I think uh, <laughs> I, I think this conversation segues really well into our last question that we have for you, Drew. You know, when you open up the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, um, you know, what's that story that you think is being undertold about the cannabis industry that you would want to see on that A1 headline or, or, or discuss that you think is not being discussed enough about the cannabis industry right now? You know, I think that that cannabis works. I mean, I th I think that so much focus is on the recreational side of it. And and look, I work hard and I play hard too. You know, and I really do like a, a you know great big glass of really good cab, maybe two or three. You know, so I'm not I'm not going to throw stones at at anyone who who uses cannabis recreationally. You know, and and I'm fine with that. But um, you know, I think what gets missed is that, you know, there are like 185 cannabinoids, you know, that that exist. And, you know, our brains are, you know, built to to be receptors of some, if not all of them. And that's one reason cannabis has been so successful for cancer patients you know, in treating, you know, many different types of, of ailments, you know, depression, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of other things. And I think that those are the headlines that I'm not seeing. You know, they, they focus on, oh, was so-and-so high when they drove their truck into the wall? Or, you know, you know, it's like, what was the um, character that, that Sean Penn did years ago, you know, where he, where he oh, was the oh, Spicoli, Spicoli, right. That everybody, oh, yeah. you know, Spicoli, you know, you know, walking around, you know, half buzzed all the time. So I, I think it gives it the wrong idea. I personally believe, and I know some people who have businesses right now um, who were leaders in, in the real pharmaceutical industry who have now pivoted it into cannabis, who are, are working on towards, uh, turning can cannabinoids and cannabis into real pharmaceutical products. And what I believe, you know, my nephew had cancer and unfortunately passed away, but at the end of his life, he was using cannabis and it worked. Um, you know, and I said, well, how, how is that for you? And, and it was telling because he said, I love what it does, but I don't like the high. Mm. Well, if you can take that same process and make it into a pill, you know, like you do with CBD gummies and those types of things that, that help your arthritis or your sleep or whatever it is. And you do that on a pharmaceutical scale where it's been tested and approved and, and, you know, you can buy it across the counter or perhaps buy a prescription. That's fabulous. You know, that helps millions and millions and millions of people. And that's where that's, those are the headlines that I don't see at all. And, and they should be talking about it more because there are people out there trying to work towards that, you know, to make cannabis into a pill form, to make cannabis applicable to all kinds of things, maybe ADHD, maybe, you know, some of the, some of the other uh, ailments that, you know, befall all of us. So I'd, I'd love to see more discussion about how cannabis is beneficial to a broader group of people other than Spicoli. <laughs> I 100% agree, and and so sorry about your your nephew Drew, but I, I it's uh, definitely been a conversation that another one of our hosts has brought up a number of times, Ann Donahoe, that 
the medical side of the industry really has been forgotten. And, you know, there it used to be, you know, all, all these companies had some type of medical aspect to what it was that they were doing, but it's definitely been uh, downplayed, I think, over like the last couple of years. Well, and I can bet you that all of the pharmaceutical companies have cannabis R&D groups because mm -hmm. they know it's coming. And it's, it's just a question of, of time. And it's, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, cannabis cultivation. If it became legal, do you think one of the big tobacco companies, you know, the, the, and for cannabis connoisseurs out there, they're all going to, you know, probably pass at it when I say this. But, you know, if you can grow tobacco, you can grow cannabis. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference between making a cigarette and making a joint? You know, from a, from a mass product scale, not a, if you know you're smart about it, not a lot. Right. So, you know, so the big companies, you know, start sucking up all the culti cultivators out there. And, and, you know, and then they start selling them like, you know, Marlboro Reds. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think they're all going to tread lightly right now, though, because oh, absolutely what happened to like Constellation and their investment into Canopy and, you know, Philip Morris and Altria, you know, not Philip Morris, uh, Molson. Um, these guys are definitely, I think the next wave that comes in, they're going to not jump in. They're going to dip their toe and see, you know, what makes sense. But I agree with you. And I think from a medical standpoint, we are really early here. It's just the money's not flowing into that sector yet. And well, yeah, once that comes through and some of these guys start to put some major dollars behind the research, then you'll see the real benefits here. Absolutely. Well, I think so. And, and, you know, and it's, this is going to take some time to weed out. I mean, what's going on now in the cannabis industry is not going to be over in the first quarter of next year. This is this is going to be probably an 18 month, maybe two year process because it always is maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, because you've got to you got to weed people out. You've got to you know, you've got to streamline the industry itself. And and let's face it, there have been a ton of people who've gotten significantly burned, you know, where their investments have, you know, gone away, you know, real money has gone away and it's not coming back anytime soon. Right. So, you know, there's going to be, I think, a fair degree of hesitancy, you know, when somebody jumps up and down and says, oh, I got this great new idea. I got this great new product. I got this great new thing I'm going to do. And, you know, all I need is, you know, $20 million. I think that $20 million is going to be really hard to come by. Yeah. 100% agree. Um. Drew, that's all we, we had uh, ready for you today, but this has been a really great conversation. Um, thanks so much for joining us. We'd love to have you back on, you know, in another six months or so and, uh, you know, just hear about everything that's going on with uh, Slang and Mako. Oh, be glad to. I enjoyed this very much, guys. Thanks a lot. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Drew. Thanks again to Drew McManigle, CEO and founder of Mako. To keep up with Mako and uh, everything they're working on, as well as Slang Worldwide, check them out at www.mako.group, and that's Mako spelled M-A-C-C-O. As always, thanks for listening to The Green Rush. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. You can drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, guest ideas, and topics. Um, also, don't forget to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take. <laughs>